This is episode number 227 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey, welcome to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and my goal is to help you become a fearless and confident speaker and presenter. This week, I'm going to show you how, if you feel nervous when you speak and friends are trying to help you, they may actually be making you more nervous. And I'm going to give you a few tips that will help you not only reduce your own nervousness, but also help you coach other people when they feel nervous as a speaker as well. The episode is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. So if you're looking for a faster way to reduce public speaking fear or become a more persuasive speaker, we've got two-day public speaking classes coming up in Washington, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, Houston, and Las Vegas. And make sure to check out the schedule at fearlesspresentations.com for all classes and locations. All right, so let's get on with today's topic. So today we're going to talk about how to get over the fear of public speaking. So if you're a nervous speaker and a majority of the population seems to have some type of fear or nervousness about public speaking, ironically, a great deal of this nervousness or anxiety can actually come from well-meaning friends or coworkers who are just trying to help but in some cases actually make things worse. Because when you see a friend struggling, we naturally want to help them. So we might offer a little constructive criticism as a way to help a new presenter improve his or her public speaking. However, these helpful pieces of advice can actually have an extremely negative effect and actually cause more nervousness. So basically in this session, I'm gonna show you how constructive criticism can actually cause public speaking fear. We'll also cover a few ways to reduce this nervousness when we coach or when we mentor other public speakers. So the first thing we want to cover is just about public speaking fear itself, is that it's normal. Public speaking fear is normal. It's public speaking, the skill anyway, is not like any other new skill when we try to develop it. When you stand up in front of a group to speak for the first time, every one of us is going to feel nervous. I don't care who you are. That's going to be a nerve-wracking experience. The first time you rode a bicycle, by the way, you probably felt a little bit of anxiety. You, you were probably a little timid when you operated a computer for the first time. And if you remember the first time that you were on a freeway in the car, you probably felt very nervous. So each of these experiences has a risk of danger. So the first time that we try them, we experience, experience some type of nervousness, anxiety, fear, Speaking in front of a group is no different. First time that you do it, there is a risk of potential fail failure or embarrassment. The good news, though, is that with a little experience and a series of successes, your nervousness in each of those other areas went down. Well, guess what? Your fear of public speaking will also decrease if you kind of follow the guides that we lay out in, in this session. So I mentioned in the opening that most people have some type of public speaking fear, nervousness, anxiety about standing up in, in front of a group. And the woman who trained me as a public speaking coach 
she told me very first time I met her that 95% of the entire population has some type of public speaking fear, or at least has experienced some type of public speaking fear. And since she had a whole lot more experience than I did at the time, I kind of took her word for it. However, I never asked her where she got that statistic, where'd that come from? And, and in my experience, I've come across studies that range from a high of like 95% of the population has nervousness all the way down to like 7% of the population. And the range is hugely based on the type of nervousness that the study is tracking. For instance, there's a guy named Peter Curry, who is a public speaking coach, and he wrote an article called Seven Unbelievable Fear of Public Speaking Statistics. And he stated that the average is about 7% of the population that has a, an anxiety related to public speaking. And I kind of agree with Corey because the number of people who have a fear large enough to be called an anxiety or a phobia is probably pretty small. Most of us get nervous, but when we say phobia or or anxiety, that usually means that the fear is so dramatic that we're not even going to attempt it. We're, we would never, ever, ever come out in public or get in front of a group because the fear is so great. So that's a small percentage of the population. And but even with that little seven percent, he kind of worked out the 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 percentages in the American population. Seven percent of the United States population comes out to be about twenty seven million Americans that have a fear of presenting so great that psychologists would call it a phobia. So if you use his statistic, it's still a huge, huge, huge problem. Now on the other extreme, the statistic brain conducted a survey, and this was just a, an online survey, but they had 70, 74% of their respondents that said that they get nervous speaking in front of a group. So that's kind of far on the other side. Now, there's a huge difference between the results of those two surveys. And a lot of times the difference is because of what they were measuring. One of them was measuring a phobia and the other one was measuring just any type of nervousness. And there was a guy named Nick Morgan who kind of explained this well. He wrote a Forbes article entitled Why We Fear Public Speaking and How to Overcome It. And he said that about 10% of the population love, absolutely love standing in front of people and speaking. In fact, they thrive on it. So about that's that's a very small percentage of the population, but about 10%. There's another 10% of the population, and this kind of goes back to what Corey was saying as well, that are terrified to speak in front of a group. And the other 80% of us is that we're all somewhere in the middle. We have, you know, for some people, we're going to have a little bit of nervousness all the way up to the to the fear. And it and it um and in fact, if you if you look at the show notes, I kind of created a chart that explains where the other 80% of us are. But it doesn't really make that much different uh, difference because if you understand where the fear comes from, that's actually more important. Anytime we try something new and we have what we consider to be a success, we gain confidence in that skill. And anytime we try something new and we fail, we diminish confidence. Or even if, if, we, even if we just perceive that we fail, we may do well, but if we think we didn't do well, then our confidence is going to shrink. So think about learning to speak in front of a group like the process that we use when we learn to ride a bicycle. You know, a kid rides a few yards and then kind of falls over. And then mom or dad will usually say something like, look how far you rode. Let's see if you can go further next time, right? They don't say, you know, a good parent anyway is not going to say, you did good. However, 
toward the end there, you really tapered off. You should probably keep pedaling a little longer. Also, make sure you keep a firm grip on the handlebars. And oh yeah, by the way, you looked a little shaky. So keep your posture upright so you can have better control of the bike. There's a reason why we wouldn't do that with kids is because no, the kid wouldn't get back on the bike, right? <laughs> However, that's the way that most of our friends and coworkers kind of help us get over public speaking fear. You know, we, we we tell the speaker something good. Yeah, you did well, right? And then we follow it with either a but or a however. And what that tells the speaker is that what I just told you before about you being good which really was not true. <laughs> but here's here's how you really did. Um, according to an article titled Anxiety, Criticism, and Conquering Self-Doubt that was written by a, a lady named Tanya Peterson, she said that the, the criticism isn't the source of our dis discomfort. It's really anxiety and self-doubt that arises because of how we interpret that criticism. We hear the criticism, but we interpret it in a different way than it was intended. For instance, a seasoned presenter will be able to accept this type of coaching more positively because he or she, they may not like the criticism, may not sound very comfortable to them, but the seasoned speaker will have likely had a number of successes under his or her belt. To, and, and so that they can use that criticism as a corrective device. The same constructive criticism will likely reduce the confidence of a new speaker, though. By the way, this happened to me when I was in college. I took a business communications class, and my entire grade was based on the scores that I received for three presentations. Each one, each one of them was like you know, three weeks apart or so. And I, I, I worked really hard on the first presentation, and I did pretty well. I got a 94 on it, so I got an A. However, after I gave my presentation, the teaching assistant wanting to help me improve gave me constructive criticism. She said that I said, um, seven times throughout the speech. So when I prepared for the next presentation, I had a split focus. I was still focusing on creating a good speech, but this time I was also focusing on not saying um. So as a result, I spent less time working on the speech and more time focusing on a symptom that she wanted me to correct. Um, by the way, when I gave that second speech, I got an 84 on it. So my, my grade actually went down. And instead of saying, um, seven times, like I did the first one, I said, um, 14 times. So I actually got more of the things that I was trying to fix because I was focused on them. Whatever you, whatever you focus on, you get more of. And by the way, on the third presentation I gave three weeks later, I got a 74 on it. So <laughs> is constructive criticism really corrective? And yeah, not really. I mean, you can't make a child better by pointing out what you think is wrong with him or her. Criticism either either crushes the spirit or it elicits defensiveness. One of those two things is most likely, or sometimes both is going to happen. This is actually a, a very common challenge. So after I finished that third presentation back in class, my confidence was pretty low. From my experience, every time I gave a presentation, I got worse. Consequently, Three months later, I gave a big presentation. I got an internship working for a big oil company, and I gave a presentation at the end of that internship, and I bombed it. In fact, that's the, the presentation that I told you guys about. You go all the way back to session one of the of the of the podcast. You can kind of hear that that story of how I totally screwed that up and how it changed my my life. Um, so, but I was set up to fail because of the coaching that I had received, the presentation that the presentation coaching that I received caused me to fail. 
And you don't want to have that same negative experience when you're trying to coach people as well. So let's go back to what uh, Tanya Peterson kind of talked about, because she said it's the way that we handle it, uh, the way that we handle that criticism that causes the nervousness. And so she identified four interpretations of criticism. So we hear it, we hear that constructive criticism, but we interpret that criticism in different ways. And as a result, it has the potential to make us even more nervous. Um, the first one is what she calls all or nothing thinking. <laughs> it's also called black or white thinking. This, this thinking pattern contributes to what she calls perfectionism and, and thus anxiety about self-doubt. Because with this, if the performance isn't perfect, it's worthless. <laughs> so the moment that we get any type of criticism, then our feeling as we hear that is that, oh my God, I'm worthless, or my presentation was worthless, or I'm just not good at this. The second way that she said that you can interpret uh, that that constructive criticism is what she calls overgeneralization. People with social anxiety, especially, they and, and if they have a fear of criticism, often they take one critical comment and equate it with complete and total failure. So that self-doubt comes from not separating criticism from positive feedback. So for instance, uh, the thing that I mentioned before is, is very common where somebody gives us a compliment, but we disregard the compliment entirely and focus only on the criticism and we expand. It's like we, we exaggerate that, that criticism. So the third thing that she mentioned, or the third interpretation that she mentions is what she calls jumping to conclusions, or she calls it mind reading, which is interesting because social anxiety makes us consciously or, or subconsciously watch people for nonverbal communication. And that, and then we interpret their critical opinions based on that. We, we mind read, assuming that someone is inwardly critical of us. So we see that somebody glances at their phone because they get a, a, a text and they look at it and they go, oh my God, I am totally uninteresting. Well, that there's no connection there. You know, a lot of people, they've been triggered to look at their texts when they come in. And so as a result, just because you're speaking, they would have done it if you weren't speaking as well, right? So, so again, it's, looking at something that somebody else is doing and misinterpreting that action. And as a result, it causes nervousness for us. The last one that she said, the fourth one is discounting the positive. This is the, what, what, what a lot of times people call yes, budding, you know, that's where uh, someone might be giving us positive feedback, but we dismiss it with self doubt. So they don't even tell us anything negative, but we hear the positive and interpret it as being negative, believing that we're just not worthy of the praise or we ignore all of the positive comments and instead dwell only on that one piece of criticism, criticism that we receive. So, um, so, so basically, the, the thing to keep in mind is that when we receive that those constructive comments or when we give those constructive comments to other people, there is a potential that we will receive those in a negative way and or the other person is going to receive those in a negative way. So this is how a person, if you're experiencing this, if you have that nervousness and somebody gives you a piece of criticism or gives you something constructive to do, this is how they may interpret it. So like, for instance, let's say that we just inadvertently kind of tell somebody who just got finished speaking, we want to kind of help them up and they talk too fast. So we say, hey, so, so 
Next time, try slowing down a little. Well, what that person is hearing in his or her mind is that you talk so fast that people can't understand you. And you can also put a you idiot on the end of it, right? That's what we hear. We don't hear, oh, I should probably slow down because that will help me be a better speaker. It's no, no, you're an idiot and you you talk so fast that, God, it's just embarrassing when you stand up to speak. Um, so if we say something like inadvert, you know, just something really minor, like, oh, you should try speaking up a little, you timid little person. Nobody can hear you, right? That's the way we interpret that. Another comment might be stand up straighter. And when we hear that, oh, you know, we can all see that you're not confident enough to present when you stand up that way. Again, that's how our brain kind of reacts to this criticism. Or if we say, hey, try taking your hands off the lectern. What they hear is we want you, we want to be able to see your handshake. <laughs> and so... And of course, there are dozens more. Just remember that when somebody is trying something new, you never want to really criticize them. Look for the positive. Identify their strengths. Then help them build on those strengths. Save the criticism or the critiques for a time when the speaker has had a few successes under his or her belt, and they'll deal with it in a whole lot more effective way. The analogy I like to use here is, is you want to think of a person's confidence level like a bank account. Every time the person has a success in that new skill, then he or she is making a deposit into that bank account. And every time that person has a negative experience, then some of that balance is withdrawal, withdrawn. The challenging thing with these deposits is that it takes a bunch of those deposits to make up for a single withdrawal. <laughs> So that's why so many speakers look for help from an expert. That's why so many people go to a public speaking coach or go to a public speaking class, because a good coach can minimize the chance of failure that you that you see in yourself. And, and you see if the person can, can have a series of successes in front of in a row, one after the other after the other, then if they experience the occasional hiccup, it doesn't destroy their confidence. Um, so here's the absolute best way to to coach a new speaker. And if you are the new speaker, these are some things that you can encourage your coworkers and friends to do for you. Just remember that the best type of coaching that you can give a new speaker is to tell them that they look natural and confident. By the way, if that's a stretch, if they don't really look natural and confident, don't lie to them, but tell them how much courage they have. So basically, you, your goal is to try to build them up as they go through this process. Uh, they need to experience a few successes in front of a group. So give them a chance to have that success before we start to do any type of criticism or critiquing. As they experience these successes, a lot of those menial nervous tics, the, the symptoms of nervousness will start to kind of diminish. And your, your trust as the speaker's coach will actually grow as well. So as you help them get rid of some of those minor things, they start to go away because the confidence is starting to grow, then your trust level with that person is going to grow as well. Um, so so then once, once you get to that point, then if you need to, this would be the only time that you'd want to insert one of those constructive comments. But if you do, you want to make sure that you do them just a little at a time, because every time that you give them one of those constructive comments, it's going to lower down that confidence pretty dramatically. And that's the exact opposite. You've worked too hard to help them get that confidence up. So wait for the balance in that bank account to be high before you start making any withdrawals. So just in closing, let me give you an example of how 
I kind of went through this. So I, when I started in the training industry, I was still a pretty nervous speaker. I hadn't had a whole lot of successes under my belt, but I, I worked for a guy that was one of the best public speaking coaches in the world. And I'll kind of show you what he did for me that kind of helped me become the type of speaker that I am today. So this was my first year in training. Uh, my, my boss asked me and, and one of my coworkers, another, another young presenter, to uh, help him out on a project. We were going to be uh, creating a presentation for the company's annual convention, which happened to be in Dallas where our office was. And so the three of us met to, to practice. And oddly, as we were practicing, every time my boss did something in the presentation, he would also have me or my coworker do it as well, which seemed kind of odd, but we, we weren't really catching on to exactly what he was doing um, because first he would do it, then he'd have us do it. And after working with him for a couple of hours, he kind of turned to us. He said, okay, I think you guys are ready. And we both kind of looked at it. My coworker and I, we kind of looked at each other and we said, ready for what? And he said, well, ready to give the presentation, obviously. And we were confused, but that was his plan all along. He had worked for worked with us for hours until we were flawless in the delivery. And he never really let on that he was actually preparing us to do the entire presentation without him. <laughs> so we didn't we didn't have weeks to think about how we could screw this up. Uh, we, we didn't, we didn't have, we, he basically used it as a way to kind of sneak up on us and teach us how to do it without us really knowing that we were being taught. So the next morning we're standing in front of this room with hundreds of people in, in the breakout session that we were teaching. And um, as people came in, I keep in mind, this is an audience comprised entirely of professional public speaking coaches. So the pressure was still pretty high. These are people Everybody in the room had way more experience than than me or this other presenter. So as time got closer and closer to the start, my nervousness kept going up and up and up and up. I, I at that at that point, I just really wanted to to rush out of the room. However, as I kind of started speaking, that preparation took over. I got right into the interesting information that that my boss had prepared me to deliver. My natural energy kind of kicked in, and the experience was so much fun. I was hooked. I had moved from being a shy and nervous speaker to a professional motivational speaker in a matter of a couple of minutes. So the moral of the story is that if you're a nervous public speaker, hire about 100 professional public speaking coaches to speak in front in the front row of your public speaking or your first speech. But no, don't don't do that. But because um, that would be very, very expensive. But it was really cool for me because as I was kind of looking out at these professional coaches, everybody was a professional coach. They knew I was young. They were on my side. They were all giving me thumbs up and and attaboys and all that kind of stuff. And so um, so it, that was kind of a unique experience. But you can have something very, very similar. That's one of the reasons why if you are having nervousness, if you are experiencing that anxiety, it's a good idea to go and get a coach, somebody who can help you kind of boost that confidence, keep your confidence up as you go through the experimentation period. And if you do that, you'll come out on the other side, a much more confident, much more poised speaker and presenter. So thanks a lot for being a part of Fearless Presentations. We'll see you next week. Bye. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.